Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Let me talk to you. Yeah, and boy, do we have a lot to talk about in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more. You are tuned in to the entertainment edition of the ODPH, and we definitely want to interact with you after the show. So, Pad, where does everybody head on over to? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. You swing on over there, join in the conversation on all the social media accounts, check out the T Public Store link, a lot of stuff going on over there, the Patreon link, one tier, $2 a month. Shout out to Mike from the Multiverse of Badness. The latest patron joining us, and he is getting a lot of bonus content on the way. Also, the blog section, where we always got reviews coming. The directory, which, Pat, how many providers are we on? Uh, 125,000. Sounds about right to me. I never question. He is a statistician for a reason, folks. Also, the classified section, where you can find everything going on with 3FN Podcasts, Dragon Master Games, Nerd Initiative. A lot is going on with Nerd Initiative right now. A lot of things we can't talk about right now. So that's why you want to drop that follow, subscribe, and make sure you don't miss anything happening because there's a lot left to do in 2023 before we have a monster 2024. Also, the music section where you can find everything going on with Brian Wolf and the Howlers. Shout out the Robots, Floodlands, who have a new album coming out. I heard. Uh, yeah, that's that's the big rumor. Uh, promotional art was released today as we're recording. Second Suitor, Tom Jolu, the list goes on and on. Basically, if it's anything and everything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. And always remember on social media to use the hashtag ODPHpod. Kicking off the entertainment edition of the show, we have to recap an episode of a Disney Plus show that raised some eyebrows. Goosebumps. Yeah, it definitely had that effect. And rightfully so, because obviously. Factually, I'm accurate. Yeah. It, there is a lot going on with this episode. I was really surprised when we initially were talking about this, the reaction on social media mm-hmm. that it generated. Like, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're not talking Ahsoka Shadow Warrior level. No. No. But this show, based in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, had a lot of people talking this week. And we have to dive in and break down the latest of the Tom Hiddleston-led Loki so three episodes in on a six-episode season for season two, and there's a lot to discuss as the god of mischief of Norse mythology mm-hmm. is running crazy in the time stream, and after the mess that he and Sylvie, played by Sophie DiMartino, caused last season, well, Kang the Conqueror, played by Jonathan Majors, is going through the time stream. The multiverse is in peril. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot to pick up with the pieces. Luckily for Loki, he has his uh, best friend, as as it's looking to be. Yes. And that is one Mobius, played by Owen Wilson. And their mission now is to put everything back together. Yeah. Can they do it? Well, two episodes down, things are not looking great. No. uh, They were in the middle of building a 500-piece puzzle, I guess you could say, last season. And somebody came through and flipped the table and, you know, sp- uh, spilled all of those pieces onto the floor, 
breaking them all apart, you know, and all of a sudden they're on a time crunch because they got to get the uh, puzzle put back together. Mm -hmm. So with this latest episode entitled 1893, there's a lot to break down. Now, if you're new to the ODPH, first and foremost, thank you for checking us out. We do appreciate it. Drop a rating on your favorite podcatcher. It does help the algorithm of the show. Mm -hmm. We like to give a spoiler-free statement about the episode so we can have a little conversation with you if you haven't seen it. If, and we don't want to ruin anything for anybody. That's why we always have a 72-hour embargo on social media that we don't discuss anything on there because we want to give you ample time to go check out movies, TVs, and comics that we don't ruin anything for you. However, after we give you the countdown, it is game on. We talk spoilers. We deep dive. We hold nothing back. So you have been fair warned. And if you're not sure when to jump out, Pad puts the timestamps in each episode. Because mm -hmm. that's how much we care about this. So you don't have anything ruined, and you can't say, oh, I heard it on the show, and you guys talked about this. No, we don't do that here. Other, other podcasts might do it. We don't. So that said, Pad, give me your spoiler-free statement on 1893. Uh, it was okay. You know, uh, there's some developments in the episode that I enjoyed, and it's interesting to see where they're going to go with things. But we're now halfway through the season. Like you mentioned, episode three of a six-episode season. We're halfway through the episode, and typically when you reach the halfway point of a season – no matter what length of what's the episode length of the season, six, eight, 12, 24, 36, 102, you know, whatever it is, you, you feel like you want to hit the apex of the story. If you think back mm -hmm. to literature class and you learn about, you know, the line of a story, the intro, the rising action, the climax, falling action, and then resolution. Typically, you would think that, like, OK, we're hitting kind of the climax or we're approaching the climax of the story at the midway point. And it still feels like the uh, the season and its story is getting started. Mm. That, like, we're finally got all the players introduced. We finally got them all recovered from what happened last season. You know, and then now we're finally going along, and now we're finally digging into it, and we're, we're on the hunch, and we're doing this, and we're doing that. And that's fine, and it's been enjoyable. I haven't gotten out of any of these episodes going, well, there's 45 minutes to an hour of my life wasted. You know, mm. I wish I would have waited to see that or, or something. Like, I'm not sitting here saying that. But it's just kind of interesting the, the direction they're taking with this because, to me, it feels like they're almost setting up for a season three. That that it's just – I don't feel there's any way this can get resolved cleanly mm. or, or you know, succinctly in three more episodes just because depending on where they go, there's a lot they have to do. So the episode's been okay. I'm interested to see where it goes, but I, I, I still feel it can get better. I have Moon Knight vibes with this. Mm, okay. And I know I mentioned this on last week's episode, and it still hasn't gone away. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. I think three episodes in... They're doing a slow burn, and it doesn't really need it. Exactly. No, you hit it right on the head. They're trying to do the slow burn, big reveal, but I don't think that they've established enough uh -huh. that it's connecting... And I think that, obviously, with this week's episode, we had the big reveal of Jonathan Majors is on the show. Right. And I know Which we knew was coming. We, we knew it was coming. It's in the trailers. Yes. So this is not a spoiler by any means. But I think the expectation level was, okay, now we're going and we're finally getting started. Mm -hmm. And I feel that they did in certain aspects, but I think that they didn't. Yeah. And this almost has a feel of 
we're in part one of season two. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing wrong with a slow burn. Right. You know, slow, agreed. Agreed. Slow burns, when done well, are enjoyable. They work, for example, and this is the only one that really comes to mind in like a uh, Knives Out type of movie mm. where it's like a murder mystery or it's a mystery or it's a, it's a whodunit type of scenario and and you know the villain or the or the antagonist mm-hmm. you know barlow using a little uh, literature terms there you know the antagonist is is unknown is masked is is kind of a mystery mm-hmm. you know it's hidden in the shadows you know, so that works because it, it's the guessing game and it's keeping the viewers on edge and, you know, little misdirections and a few red herrings and, oh, you thought it was this person, but no, 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 it's not them. But we know who the villain is. Yeah. We we know what they look like. Obviously, the outfit's going to be different because variants and time travel mm-hmm. and, and what have you. But the in this instance, the slow burn doesn't work because we know who it is. We know who to look for. So you can't pull the wool over our eyes going... Oh, shucks, you thought it was this person, but it's really not. So I just don't agree with the slow burn here. I agree with you. Like I say, this is a, it's a good episode, but yeah. there's a lot of stuff that I think that they they did not hit the mark with. Room for improvement. Exactly. So that said, let's get in that spoiler talk, shall we? In three, two, one. Talk to me. Like I said, the episode was fine. You know, I enjoyed kind of finally getting out of the TVA because we've been in the TVA for the first two episodes. Mm-hmm. You know, it was nice to time travel. It was interesting to see where they went. And it was interesting to see Jonathan Majors finally show up and play somebody other than, you know, someone who's all knowing, all powerful. And is like, oh, I know more than you do. I, you know, and, and, and playing the holier than thou, you know, I know I know everything. Mm-hmm. So so seeing him kind of like, what the heck is going on and why am I here and why are you here and what is this and what are you talking about? That was enjoyable. I, th- I thought Jonathan Majors did a great up- job in this episode, you know, and I and I thought it was interesting. Some of the stuff they did in this, you know, with with gifts showing him the TVA and setting things up, you know, for what potentially comes down the timeline if everything works out and, and kind of building for the quote unquote future mm-hmm. of the timeline. You know, but and, and especially the ending, I thought the ending and the tease at the ending was great. But just this, I just don't agree with a slow burn here. It just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. No. And that's the problem that you touched upon. The past two episodes, they've been hanging out at the TVA. Mm-hmm. And there has been no real movement other than Sylvie being in Broxton. Slow burn works if like we're writing a Batman comic. Sure. And and say one of the Bat family has been, you know, injured mm-hmm. and is in a coma. Yeah. And 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 Bruce didn't see it happen. And they were all out on separate patrols and nobody knows who it was. And cameras didn't catch it and yada, yada. And all of a sudden it turns into a whodunit. OK, we got to track down and figure out who it is. Sure, there's a usual list of suspects that you're going to see, you know, Joker, Two-Face, you know, Penguin, what have you, Deadshot, you know, what have you. But you don't know who it is. Mm-hmm. In this instance, we know who's wrecking house. We know who's coming. We know who's coming to, you know, kick ass and take names and run out of bubblegum. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's Kang. So why? Just why? Exactly. I mean, I think what the Marvel take is for this, and I don't agree with it is they're going heavy on the variant mm-hmm, issue. Mm-hmm. And this is a problem that I thought they were going to have with Kang. Because if anybody's not familiar with him, time travel. Yeah, lots of it. Multiple versions. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like an easy way to write something out. And this is very weird. This is something that Doctor Who plays very well. Yeah. But not everything is Doctor Who. Even Doctor Who says time travel's a mess. Exactly. So the fact that they want to kind of dance around this, 
I thought it was going to be problems, and this is kind of where the angle is leaning towards pop culture mm-hmm. about having that guessing game. But it's not really there. Like no. I don't think that there's a fever pitch about who is really Kang. Right. And I think that that's where they're going wrong with the show. They're, I mean, they're even going wrong with it from the standpoint, say what you will about Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, good, bad, or otherwise. Greatest Fantastic Four movie without the Fantastic Four in it. Yeah, uh, but there was that scene in the ending, I can't remember if it was in the end credits or right before the end of the movie, whenever it took place in the movie, where it was the Council of Kangs, and then it was the, the like Roman Coliseum-like mm. thing, and the entire seating section of this Coliseum were all clones of jonathan majors yeah so when you establish at least from the ones we saw i'm sure you can play it off later that oh there was one in the background that didn't look like jonathan majors fine if you want to go that route sure Mm -hmm. but for what we know and what we saw we saw a a coliseum full of people who look like jonathan majors Mm -hmm. and yet you're still trying to play well one of them might not be jonathan majors yeah which i think that that's where they're going heavy with in this episode right and I'm I'm fearing that because Kang is a good villain. Yeah. But he's not that good of a villain. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sorry. There's You can look at the timelines he's had with the Avengers and the Fantastic Four. Right. He's, a, like I say, he works in certain stories better than others. Yeah. I think for him being the big bad of the MCU, I, I'm really kind of struggling with it. And that's where we kind of see here. because it's not a good start. Right, because the problem is that they've been breaking this into two different parts. Mm-hmm. That you've had the Sylvie story where she's gone to Broxton, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. You've had the whole TVA family get together with Tom Hilson's Loki. Mm-hmm. And you've had Owen Wilson's Mobius working with the breakout member, Kihu Khan, yep. of OB, yep. of trying to put the multiverse back together. Yeah. And during this entire time, this is when they realize, oh, yeah, there's somebody missing, and she is traveling through the multiverse. Mm-hmm. And that's Gugu Mathura, who's playing Ravona Renslayer. Yep. And now she is tracked to Chicago, mm-hmm. 1893. Yep. And she has the one entity mm-hmm. that can fix allegedly everything. This is all we think. Mm-hmm. And that's Miss Minutes, yeah. who's voiced by Tara Strong. Yep. So that's where everything begins in this episode. Right. So they're going to trying. They have their own side mission, which is like, okay, this is a little interesting, but mm-hmm. let's, let's let's go with it. Mm-hmm. So they go there mm-hmm. because they're looking for Victor Timely. Yep. Who is a variant of Kang, or he who remains, because it's all connected. Mm-hmm. Like that's. Through you know the 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 Kang the Conqueror history, there is just multiversions. So they're trying to connect to one, and it's really kind of an interesting setup because they're going off information that He Who Remains gave them right before his untimely death at the end of season one of Loki. Mm-hmm. So now they're handing things off to Victor Timely, who is almost like a. I, I would say a, a con artist at this stage. Yeah, kind of. Because he's working almost like on, on a stage performance at the Chicago's World Fair. Mm-hmm. And he's hustling some uh, machinery, Yeah, if you will. Yeah. And while he's doing this, this is when we have Loki and Mobius show up. And they're trying to get the sense of what is going on and who they have to track down. Because they do find Ravona, who's in the crowd. Mm-hmm. And they've been tracking the temp pad 
that she has. Right. And this is something that Sylvie has also been acquiring as mm-hmm. well, too. So Right. So they're kind of piecing everything together, but this almost feels like last episode <laughs> a little bit when they're when they're breaking bad, so to speak. Right. Well, and there's even some stuff in this episode that is given that if, unless you pay attention and catch it, you'll miss it. That's showing like even what they think is stable and solid isn't mm-hmm. because when they orig- when uh, Ravona Renslayer originally shows up to Chicago and meets uh uh, what is it? Uh, Victor Henley mm-hmm. or timely. timely. Sorry, timely. The the little t- font text at the bottom says 1868 Chicago. Mm-hmm. And then it says sacred timeline. Mm-hmm. And she shows up and she gives him the TVA guidebook. She goes here. I think you could whatever. I'm paraphrasing. She goes, oh, here. I think you could find this useful. Mm-hmm. And then when we return the next scene to 1893 Chicago, all of a sudden it says 1893 Chicago branched timeline yeah well because anytime you go back in time and you do something to alter the past it causes a new branch that's why it was kind of very messy yeah when we saw the end of season or episode two there when all the branches were dying because they were trying to kill off and make it one universal timeline which no matter what you do in comics it's never going to be that way Mm -hmm. like you have marvel does it better than anybody you have one universal 616 universe and then you have the variants from there, but they all kind of merge one way or another into the 616. Yep. You're starting to see that here, but it, but I think they're not being good about explaining it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that's really hurting the show, in my opinion. But nevertheless, we do see that everybody is now trying to track down Victor Timely, who's yep. now hustling in his uh, machinery. He's, he's, a, he's Thomas Edison. Yeah, pretty much. And I love how Jonathan Majors is playing him because... The one thing that he does is in the same vein as Tom Cavanaugh did with Harrison Wells on The Flash. Yes. Every time you see him play a version of himself, whether it's Kang, He Who Remains, uh, Mortis, so forth, it's always something different to this character. Mm-hmm. And you can see that he's acting very non-confident, yeah. very unsure of himself. A little, a little bit of a stutter to his yeah. uh, speech. Yes. And like I say, I give kudos to Majors yeah. acting in this because yeah. this really sold that this is a, a completely different version. Not as confident. Yeah, which, I mean, that's the, that's the whole point of it. So you don't know if he's working everybody because he's trying to flip whatever he's trying to do amongst the, the investors at the fair. Yep. But we are seeing this play out. And then, of course, everybody is now trying to track him down. Mm-hmm. which does lead into, like I say, they borrowed a lot from the, the last week's episode, which I did not love. Right. Because it really felt like the same thing. Like, okay, let's go chase him. Yeah. Because they did the exact same thing. So now you have Loki and Mobius who are trying to get him because they they need him to fix the loom, mm-hmm. which should fix the timeline and everybody goes home happy. Because they need, they need he who remains aura to access the computer to fix the, the loom. And right now, that's the only variant they're aware of. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, you have Miss Minutes and Renslayer yep. who are trying to recruit him to go on their own different mission. Mm-hmm. And then last but not least, you have Sylvie yeah. who I, I, I applaud her on this. She just wants to kill him. Yeah, she just wants to live her life. Yeah, because she's like, I caused this mess. I'm going to fix it. And like I said, that was probably the easiest thing that you could pick up as a reader. No, I'm not yeah. a reviewer. I'm not encouraging it, mind you, but I understand it. So yeah. like I say, there wasn't that ulterior motive. Like you can you can just understand her motives as, as yeah. for revenge. So it's yeah. like, okay. Yeah. So it makes sense. So 
they wind up trying to chase him. And then, of course, there's also the investors that are trying to get their money back. Yeah, because they they bought the machine and tried to use it, and then it broke. Mm-hmm. So, Timely escapes mm-hmm. somehow, mm-hmm. which, I mean, this, this played into a lot of, I want to say, normal Hollywood themes. Yeah, a little bit. So, like I say, I don't want to say it was telegraphed, but... It kind of was. Kind of, yeah. Because obviously everybody's trying to chase him. But he does wind up escaping back to his laboratory. Mm-hmm. And then this is where things get very, very interesting. <laughs> you want to take this one? Uh, Miss Minutes is uh, horny for he who remains. Yeah. That's the easiest way I can put it. She wants to be with him, and I don't mean she wants to hang out and get uh, ice cream. Yeah, so suddenly Miss Minutes has now developed romantic overtones. Yeah. And Timely is very caught off guard by this. Yeah. So he winds up deactivating Miss Minutes. Which she's not thrilled about. Right. But all the while, you have Renslayer bump into Loki and Mobius. Yep. And there's a very awkward standoff because Renslayer comes in and she's willing to completely wipe away he who remains, or the Victor Timely, I should say. Yeah, yeah. And she has her own mission, and Loki and Mobius are, are trying to explain, no, like, we need him, this is why, and she's not believing it. She thinks they're lying. Yeah, which, I mean, it makes sense because of how loyal Ravona is to, yeah. to Kang, more yeah. or less. Yeah. So to see how she has this mission from He Who Remains, it does make sense. So like I say, I had no problem with her acting. Her motives made complete sense once this all came about where she revealed what she was doing. Mm-hmm. But previously, it was very confusing what was happening. Yeah. yeah. But they wind up having the standoff, so to speak, and she's about ready to strike. Mm-hmm. But lo and behold, Sylvie shows up. Yeah. And there's a, a very back and forth of what's going on. And Loki winds up being the voice of reason here. Yeah, which was a surprise. Yeah. I, I'm, I, all right. So how are you feeling about this whole anti-hero vibe with him? I mean, it's like uh, Mobius explained to uh, Hunter X5, uh, a.k.a. Brad Wolf, last episode, Mm -hmm. when Brad was super confused about the conversation he was seeing but not hearing when they were in Oklahoma at the McDonald's. Mm -hmm. And and Mobius basically explained it to himself like, listen, when you're in love with another variant of yourself, and I'm paraphrasing, he goes, it's a little complicated. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's complicated. It doesn't make entirely a ton of sense, but admittedly, I've never run into another version of myself from a different timeline, so I can't really say I, I relate or empathize with that, you know, but I just chuck it up to what reason, Ken? Reasons. Reasons. Fair points, Pat. I'm not arguing with you about this one because it is very confusing about the, the motives here. Yeah. But to see Loki in such a light, I, I mean, Tom Hiddleston's acting is really carrying this. A ton. He's so, doing the heavy lifting. Yeah, so I don't mind it as much. But it just throws me off as somebody that's read enough Marvel comics over the years. Mm-hmm. To see him get away from being a villain, Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Because, I mean, ultimately, he can't help to be who he is. Yeah. So I'm waiting for that moment to be revealed where he goes and, and messes everything up for his own gains just because he can't help himself. Yeah. But all the while here, he's reasoning with Sylvie enough to fix things, even though Sylvie is very, very unhappy about this because her whole thing has been he's the reason for this. I mean, even when they had the standoff 
uh, at the fair, mm-hmm. and they had the the blowout with the magic, and and that's how Timely escapes. I yep. mean, it's a great scene, but it kind of goes back to Sylvie's motive. Well, they, they let him escape, right? They open the portal, and they're like, "Go!" Yeah, it, it's kind of just an interesting point with Sylvie's character because she's so you know wants to start over with her life mm-hmm. that she's willing to go to extreme measures to do it mm-hmm. and i think it's just an interesting part of her character but to see her just allow loki i mean the vo- commerce sense r- is you know in the room so to speak right well and i think she's finally seeing or at least starting to believe some of what loki is telling her because you think back to the last episode and she was just not having fucking any of it mm. and she did not give to you know what's yeah to now she's showing up She's fighting. She's ready to right the wrongs that she did, mm-hmm. which to me is saying, okay, she may not fully buy in, but she's at least chipped in. Yeah. You know, she's chipped in towards that, you know, paying that bill. And and she goes, all right, I, I know I fucked up. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I got to at least fix the portion I screwed up. Mm-hmm. And if she didn't feel that way, she wouldn't be there because, hey, let's face it, as far as she knew last episode. She had her life. Yeah. She had everything she wanted. She had McDonald's. She had McDonald's from, you know, in the 80s. Yes. You know, or the 70s, whatever it was. 80s, know, 80s. She, she's, so she's happy. She's set. Why would she need to do anything unless that little voice in her head, the little conscience in her head went, hey, you, the more you think about it, the more you, the Loki might be, the uh, Tom Hiddleston Loki might be right. And mm-hmm. that's why she's there. Mm-hmm. So they wind up leaving with Timely back to the TVA. Mm-hmm. And then... They do wind up sending Ravona yeah. to an interesting place. Yeah. Pad, where do they send her? Uh, the Citadel at the end of time, a.k.a. where all of this shitstorm kicked off last season. Mm-hmm. And this is where you really see the damage that has unfolded. Mm-hmm. The Citadel <laughs> is destroyed. You see the rotting corpse. Someone's not paying their HOA dues. Yeah. <laughs> of he who remains. Mm-hmm. And you see that Miss Minutes, now being reactivated, is there with Ravona. Yeah. And they're coming to terms that their mission, whatever it was, mm-hmm. e- even though it was just basically their way of trying to fix the timeline, has failed. Well, and, and you hear Miss Minutes talk about, she mentions cutting a deal with somebody or, yeah. or going back on a deal. And she's not thrilled about it. Right. Which is an interesting plot point. Yeah. Because this is really sudden. Yeah. About what you're thinking with Miss Minutes. But that's not the the line that had everybody talking. Mm-hmm. So the line that had everybody talking, to paraphrase a bit, mm-hmm. is Miss Minutes is saying that she knows a secret about Ravona. Yep. And she's saying, I could tell you, but you won't like it. Yeah. So, and that's how the episode wraps up. But, Pad, let me pick your brain here. What do you think that secret is? I think they're going to make her a variant of Kang. I, I think it because it's, listen, she doesn't, she doesn't like Kang. She comes from, Ravona comes from the TVA, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. You know, so she's kind of like, oh, you got to go against people who try to do this. So I think they're going to ma- end up making her a variant of Kang. And this is without me knowing anything of, like, hints or, or spoilers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is an interesting point that if they do this, though, mm-hmm. I mean, Sylvie, we already know, is a variant of Loki himself. Yep. Do you think that that's going to have the same effect of, like, the, the shock value? In the writing portion of the show, I'm sure they thought it would. When yeah. it actually comes to play out, no. 
Yeah, see, that's the only thing I think with this is when it's revealed about the secret, I I don't think, I mean, I think your guess is great. I want to say this for record. But I think the fact that we already had that with Sylvie and Loki, mm-hmm. I don't, see, I just think that would be, in, in, in my opinion, bad writing because you're already just telegraphing what you just did. Yeah. I think it's going to be that she is the the true reason Kang is free. Mm, okay. That that it, that he who remains was setting her up, mm-hmm. and she is ultimately responsible for all of this. Could be because the only thing that makes sense is if she has a secret. Yeah, she could be the one. She could be a variant of Kang, but then again, <laughs> he who remains is your father. Yeah, like it would be something crazy like that. That That's just kind of the whole vibe I'm getting with this season is that like in the writer's room, they thought, oh, this is going to be a great twist. This is going to be a great turn. Oh, they're going to go nuts over this. And it's just not hitting. Well, that's the whole problem that that you're having. And, th- and this is something that we've talked at length about this with Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah. And even, yeah. When, even when we've talked Doctor Who, when you start dabbling into alternate timelines and variants and, and the mess that is time travel, for some reason, there is a, a good majority of TV shows and movies that think that this is such a crazy shock point that this is going to win over the audience. And I, I stress that it just it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Like, very rarely... Do you pull something off like this? Mm-hmm. And I think that that for if that's what they're relying at, I, I just I don't see it. Right. Because the one problem they've had is for three episodes in now, mm-hmm. they've been carried by Hiddleston's acting. Right. And he's doing a great job. Like I say, I'm not faulting him on anything. And he's had some standout. Like last episode, I thought was the probably their best one to date. Sure. I mean, granted, there's only three episodes to balance this season out of, but yeah, even with Loki in general. Because you finally get that side of him that, yeah, I'm a villain. Well, and I can't help but wonder, and I'm going to sidetrack a little bit, but it, but it all ties together. You know, it's all connected. Sure. I can't help but wonder, because let's be honest, as, as enjoyable as these shows have been, mm-hmm. they haven't necessarily been the smash hits the movies have been. You know, disregarding some of the recent stuff, recent movies, but the movies in general, phase one, two, three. Sure. You know, various levels, but overall, very good uh, reactions and great reactions, but the reactions to the TV shows have been mixed. Mm-hmm. You know, just take take your opinions out of it. But the reaction to She Hulk overall mixed. The reaction to uh, Secret Invasion very negative, very mixed. Yeah, very Le- leaning negative, very mixed. People liked WandaVision. Mm-hmm. People liked season one of Loki. Falcon Winter Soldier skewing liked, but still closer to mix. You know, and then you've got this one, which has been mixed for us. I can't help but wonder, and this comes off of the news that Daredevil is getting reset and they're scrapping that whole thing. They're going back to square one, mm-hmm. which was a story that came out the other week, uh, two weeks ago. But tucked in the story of this was, and this is the whole point I bring this up, is maybe because of the reaction of the shows and the reaction of this is is why Marvel decided to reset how they do their work with television. Because there was an uh, article on Hollywood Reporter which said, quote, as it moves forward, Marvel is making concrete changes to how it makes TV. It now has plans to hire showrunners. Uh, po- Gao's post-production work on She-Hulk helped Marvel see that it would be helpful for its shows to have a creative through line from start to finish. Quote, 
It's a term we've not only grown comfortable with, but also learned to embrace, says Winderbaum of showrunners and Marvel TV's intention to hire them. The studio also plans on having full-time TV execs rather than having executives straddle both television and film. Quote, we need executives that are dedicated to this medium that are going to focus on streaming, focus on television, says Winderbaum, because they are two different forms. It is also revamping its development process. Showrunners will write plots and show show Bibles. The day of Marvel shooting an entire series from She-Hulk to Secret Invasion. Then looking at what's working and what's not are done. And just as Loki, which returned on October 5th, marked Marvel's first season two of a series out of nine TV shows to date. The studio plans on leaning into the idea of multi-season serialized TV, stepping away from the limited series format that has defined it. Well, I mean, there are some great points there. Mm -hmm. But I I think it ultimately goes back to when you think Marvel movies. Yeah. And I'm going to take Ant-Man and Guardians of the Galaxy out of this for right now. Just hear my argument. Sure. We had Captain America. Yes. We had Iron Man. We had Thor. We had the Avengers. Mm Mm-hmm. We had the heavy hitters of the Marvel Universe. Mm -hmm. Remember, Spider-Man wasn't over here yet, so that's why he's out. Yes, yes. Then they unveiled Doctor Strange. Mm -hmm. Then you had the Guardians. Then you had... um, Well, because I decided to pull it off. Yeah, Phase 2, you had Iron Man 3, Thor 2, Captain America 2. Mm -hmm. Then you did Guardians, Age of Ultron, and then Ant-Man. Uh, Captain America Civil War came at first in Phase 3. Then you had Doctor Strange, Guardians 2. Then the whole Spider-Man thing got introduced. Yeah, so they've more or less gone with the heavy hitters out of the gate. Mm-hmm. And with the exception of Ant-Man. And Guardi- well, Guardians wound up turning into a, right. to that. But right. we have to remember before that, that 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 was not the case in the comics. Right. Just saying. But then even now with Captain Marvel and how they've been going about doing different shows... I understand what Marvel was trying to do, but I think it, it goes back to the argument that we always make here. Mm-hmm. There is a distinct difference between the pop culture audience and the comic audience. Mm-hmm. The comic audience is more than willing to check out a show like a Moon Knight right? and go in with it and have it be a, a single season. Mm-hmm. The pop culture audience is I in my opinion a little a little more fickle? Sure, sure. A little more impatient? Sure. And they want that payout early. And I think that for what they've been trying to do with the TV shows, they've been trying to tie them all together. Right. With the movies, but it, it's it's a fine line to walk. Right. But I think that in certain aspects it's not clicking because of different stories that they're trying to do and especially mm-hmm. if you're trying to do self-contained and you only get 6 episodes to do it in or 8. Right. That can be tough depending on the story. Right. So I think that the structure idea for Marvel is not a bad idea. And I think now, especially with how Loki has been. Yeah. That's why I think like I it's probably for the best. I, I would agree. Yeah. Just because you even look at something like Moon Knight, which was good, mm-hmm. you know, had, had slightly, I would say had positive reactions. Wasn't like a smash hit success. Wasn't rave reviews by everybody. Liked by a lot of people. You know, and I know some folks who like it. Moon Knight became their favorite character just because of the portrayal Oscar Isaac did mm-hmm. in that show. Mm-hmm. But as for the character, even Oscar Isaac has said, yeah, I know we've got some ideas for what we'd like to do for season two, but we've heard nothing. And obviously this is prior to the, the screen, uh, the screen actors guild strike and the writer's strike, right. you know, but so that show came out last year, 
year and a half ago, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And and now that's the other issue you have with these shows and introducing these characters. I've got nothing wrong with them introducing characters in shows because there are, let's face it, DC, Marvel, whatever universe you want to talk about when you're ad- adapting it from comics to live action live action some characters work better on the big screen than others true so, you true. know there's some characters they're great they're awesome but can you really get you know a 90 minute or two hour two hour plus feature film out of them mm, probably not initially you can build up to it but you can't go out the gate with it but now the issue you have with this is let's face it there's a lot of streaming these days mm. there's a lot of tv shows out these days and a lot of movies coming out these days you're relying on folks to have remembered you know, Moon Knight and yep. remembered the character so that whatever they decide to do with him, because I, I got a feeling they're not going to leave him on the back burner. Just, oh, hey, yeah, we've got he's this. Too, he's too popular right now. He's too popular. You know, they're not going to leave him on the back burner for something in like three phases. Mm-hmm. But you, you, the way they're set up right now, that's what you're relying on, that. I don't know what the rewatch, you know, numbers are on these shows. Mm-hmm. They can't be super high because you're not doing second seasons. I know myself personally when there's these shows that you know span like House of the Dragon. I know I'm going to have to rewatch House of the Dragon when that comes out because it's been a while since we've seen season one. It'd be over a year. Over a year, but you got these shows that like okay, when whenever Moon Knight decides to show up in the movie, are you honestly going to expect me to go rewatch all of season one of Moon Moon Knight just to remind myself who he is? Yeah, I mean, that's, that is a great argument, Pat. And I mean, that's something that, that especially they have to deal with the pop culture audience about doing. Mm-hmm. So I think the structure setup is not bad because, let's face it, what's the show that nailed it out the gate and set the blueprint? Daredevil. Yeah. But Netflix Daredevil, where they had a showrunner. They had yeah. everything lined up. Yep. So that's why those shows for the most part, yeah, worked. The execution. I mean, like I say, we, we can always complain about Iron Fist and the Defenders uh, all we want. Like, yeah. we, we can go in that conversation. But, yeah. but yeah, yeah. at the end of the day, I think if they want to get back to that setup but do it the Disney way, right? I think that's a win because I think you're you're looking at a show like this where there is some good to be had. Like I say, yeah. I'm not ripping this to shreds. But it could, we know it could be better because you look at season one. Season one of Loki was fucking amazing. It's amazing, yeah. But season two has been all over the place. We're halfway through. Like I said, we're halfway through season two. You can go to the Wikipedia page. You can go to IMDb. You can send up smoke signals. Yeah. There's six episodes in season two. We're halfway through, and we have no idea where the fuck it's going. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem. And, and and unless you're... Now, if we get to the end of season two, and it leaves on a monster cliffhanger, and it says Loki will return for season three, okay, I'll understand that. But if it's not the case, what are we doing? Well, it's a waste of time if they, if they do that. Yeah. I mean, like, seriously... I, I don't think I just think they have they had an idea and this was supposed to be the gateway to get to a Fantastic Four movie. Probably or this was supposed to be this was supposed to be the bridge to get there. Probably. And just unfortunately, I just think they built the foundation. Like there's there's pieces here that could work, and mm-hmm. unless they turn it around in three, three episodes, episodes, I think this is going to be a, a, another miscue. But with how they're having everything structured and all, and granted, everything is held up right now because of the SAG strike. Yep. Once that gets eliminated, I think you're going to see a lot of swift changes and and you're going to see very much a clear-cut idea of how things are going to be going forward with Mm -hmm. the MCU. Mm -hmm. And I think for this season, just in closing, I think there's enough that they'll have something to salvage for another season. Could be. But at the same point, they really have to kind of find their own identity because this just feels like... For lack of a better term, like this is like a bonus scene at the end of a movie. It it, it feels like filler in an anime. It yeah. it feels like the anime 
for an adaptation of whatever manga you want to choose, the anime caught up to where the manga is, and now the animators don't want to take time off, mm-hmm. and they're just doing filler. You yeah. know, they're just doing filler after filler after filler episode. Yeah, Wait, waiting on the manga to put out a new chapter so they can a- adapt it. But in the meantime, we still got a lot of rumors going around with this show. Yeah, some I've read even involving a certain uh, artificial intelligence from a certain Avengers movie. Yeah, that one's leaking around too. So I, you know what? I don't hate that theory. I don't hate that one either. I'm not over the moon excited, but I'm like, oh, that could be interesting. Well, that's the one thing. Fans are talking about this, which is good. It's not you know, bashing it by any means. Yeah. There's just a lot of theories to be had about this, especially with the tagline that was at the end with Ravona. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, we could go a lot of different directions with it, but we want to hear your opinion. But, I mean, final thoughts on the episode before we get out of here with this one. Okay, episode, but you've got a lot of heavy lifting to do in three more episodes for, for me to say it's, you know, equal to the, the greatness that was season one. And right now this is a big step down for me. You know, I, I had optimism and I had expectations and, and hopes for season two because I love season one, but it is not meeting those expectations for me right now. I think there's a lot of miscues. I mean, I think there's a lot of good to be found, especially with the acting on the show. I think everybody's really doing this as much as they can with the material. Mm-hmm. I thought Jonathan Majors was great in this. Oh, yeah. But I think if you're looking at the overall picture, it's still blurry. Yes. We don't have a clear-cut direction where we're going. We're trying to add too much in the middle and especially with three episodes left, there has to be a lot of groundwork that's cleaned out. So hopefully this week's episode gets us on that path. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, this is going to be a long way to the finish line, and I just don't know if we're going to have a payoff yet. But that being said, hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPagePod. What is your thoughts about Loki Season 2, Episode 3, entitled 1893? Let's have that discussion, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Do you like comic books? What about movies and TV shows? Well, we may be the show for you. We're Hops Geek News, a weekly podcast that discusses comics, movies, and TV shows while featuring a beer of the week. Every week we chat about what we messed up on the week before, and then we dive into what we're reading and watching, as well as some news. We then wrap it up with a geek-themed topic of the week. You can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts by searching Hops Geek News. Cheers. Cheers. Hey, this is Scott Snyder, and you better listen to the ODPH podcast, or I'm coming for you, and Batman is coming for you. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. Pad, what you got? Got a couple things to talk about, the first of which is some unfortunate news, because we had uh, two passings this past week of some legendary actors, uh, the most recent of which was Richard Roundtree, uh, who passed away just a couple days ago at the age of 81. Of course, he's best known for playing who, Ken? Shaft! <laughs> yes, he played uh, John Shaft in the uh, television series back in the 70s, known for a whole bunch of other stuff, but that that's what he's primarily known for. Mm. So definitely, you know, a trailblazing actor, an incredible actor. Amazing actor. Did some phenomenal stuff. So, you know, definitely thoughts, prayers with his uh, family and friends there. He will be sorely missed. Uh, and then the other one that had passed uh, the couple weeks ago that we got to mention was Burt Young, who passed away at the age of 83. Uh, also known for a whole bunch of stuff, but was primarily known for Paul being Pauly and the Rocky mm-hmm. films. So that, that was definitely a big loss. So, you know, Again, thoughts, prayers, and, and well wishes with his friends and family as well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, amazing actors. Yeah, no, phenomenal. Uh, then switching over to some uh, television news, uh, there was a little book that came out uh, in the last week that uh, helped 
clear the picture on some things regarding the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh. And this book is uh, Marvel Studios, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, an official timeline. Okay. Uh, there's no official asterisk on this, but I'm going to asterisk it and say for now because, you know, it's written with up to phase four in, in mind. Mm. Uh, but reading from an article by Eric Diaz uh, on Nerdist, the article reads, quote, what is canon and what is not to the MCU has been a topic of fervent fan debate for years. Is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which referenced the events of uh, Avengers, actual MCU canon? What about the former Netflix shows like Daredevil, which also made mentions of Avengers like Captain America and Thor? Well, now we have an answer to that question from the guy in charge, Kevin Feige. In his introduction to the book, Marvel Studios, The Cinematic Universe, and Official Timeline, he wrote the following, quote, On the multiverse note, we recognize that there are stories, movies, and series that are canonical to Marvel, but that were created by different storytellers during different periods of Marvel's history. The, uh, the timeline presented in this book is specific to the MCU's sacred timeline through Phase 4. But as we move forward and dive deeper into the multiverse saga, you never know when timelines may crash or converge. Hint, hint, slash, spoiler alert, close quote. Mm. So it sounds like for now... You know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, the the Netflix series are not canon to the sacred timeline, but like they still happened. And whether they choose to bring them in or not is up to the discretion of those in charge at Marvel. Uh, I think it's a no brainer. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is mm -hmm. greatest fourth season of television history. <laughs> Don't even question me at it. You could. Uh, between myself and Joey from So Wizard, mm -hmm. we we will we will stand on that hill and fight to the end. Yeah, yep. Just, I mean, but it, you know, it's always a question because I think at the time Marvel just wasn't expecting them to break off like this. You no. know, with everybody going everywhere, and it was all supposed to be together. And then mm -hmm. you know, reasons, probably <laughs> the definition of reasons. Yeah, uh, it's it, it's still a debate. But I mean, honest, honestly, if you look at the shows, you look at everything that was involved with it. Mm -hmm. Agents of Shield was tailor made. For yeah. the Avengers, and yeah. obviously different reasons, yeah. you know, it's in question. But yeah. I still think that they should have Ghost Rider Robbie Reyes from yes. that show, you know, come over to the MCU. Yes. I'm still waiting on a Midnight Sun show. And like I say, if I, I mean, I we have not heard a word about Johnny Blaze in forever and a day. This is true. Obviously, the strikes going on, but if they want us to slide in Robbie Reyes instead, I they can, be, they can I'd write be something. Thousand percent okay with this. Uh, and then speaking of the strike, we got some uh, news and update on the SAG after strike uh, reading from an article on Variety.com. And boy, this is a freaking story. Yeah. Uh, quote, the CEOs of four major entertainment companies offered SAG after on Tuesday an improved bonus for the most watched streaming shows, as well as higher increases in minimum rates. But the studios are still not offering a cut of total streaming revenue, which the Actors Union has made the centerpiece of its demands to end its 104-day strike. SAG-AFTRA is expected to deliver its response to the studio's latest proposal today. Though the two sides continue to negotiate, there remains frustration on both sides that more progress has not been made. The four CEOs, Bob Iger of Disney, Donna Langley of NBC Universal, Ted Sarandos of Netflix, and David Zlaslav of Warner Brothers Discovery came to SAG-AFTRA's Mid-City headquarters on Tuesday for the sixth time this month, and the first time since talks broke down on October 11th, they were expected back at the table Wednesday. In, this in the Tuesday sessions, 
Uh, the CEOs sought to impress SAG-AFTRA leadership, the economic stakes, uh, as the stalemate drags on. According to one source, the CEOs suggested that certain TV shows would have to be canceled if the strike what? goes on much longer. Some of the some on the union side interpreted that as a threat, though on the studio side, it was seen uh, as the laying out the basic realities of the broadcasting production schedule. The union has argued that actors are unable to make a sustainable living in the streaming ecosystem and that a root in branch transformation of the comp compensation structure is required. Close quote. Well, I mean, First and foremost, I think this is very public knowledge. We stand with SAG. Yes, we do. Yeah. So that being said, the argument about the studios claiming the shows will be canceled. I mean, to me, in my opinion, that's a that's a bold statement to make. That's a yeah, I agree. That's a bold statement. Possible. That That is a statement you are making that is probably going to end up blowing up in your face. Yeah. And there, I mean, if you want to go through the rabbit hole that is that timeline, there's been a lot of miscues, in my opinion. Uh huh. It kind of in that same vein. The fact that the studios are not understanding the temp in the room, and I understand over the years we've had the rise of streaming. Yep, yep. And I think that at the time, nobody was really expecting it to blow up the way it has. Correct. But at the same time, like anything with technology, you have to adapt to the times. And in this situation where there are multiple jobs, and I'm not just meaning the actors. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about everybody that works on a show behind the scenes, the last two minutes of a show that you see the names fly up across the screen. Right, right. Those are the ones that I'm more caring about. Right. And the ones that I worry about. More because when you yell about shows being canceled, I'm not worried as much for the movie star that's doing a side project. Mm -hmm. I'm worried about the ones that are working behind the scenes. Right. That they that it's hard for them to get a job and it's like the one job they'll land this year. Exactly. See, that's the problem. And the mm -hmm. fact that we're still arguing about it to this day. Yeah. And it's literally in the grand scheme of things. Mm hmm. This is not going to cause a studio to fall under. Right. And in closed shop. Like, I'm sorry. There's enough there that you can break enough profit to get everybody what they rightfully deserve mm -hmm. and keep things moving forward. Because yes. what I don't think they realize is okay, you're going to cancel X, Y, and Z show. Mm hmm. Do you think that the the fans are going to come back and watch reruns? No. I mean, I have you not. Think, you think the fans are going to take it and be like, oh, you know what is what it is. I'm not that upset about it. No. I mean, take a look at most social media right now. Yeah. And yeah, when we have a new show to discuss, there's a lot that like to do it. There are some people that have not covered this. And listen, kudos to you. Where, yeah. Wherever you feel comfortable with, yeah. you know, I, I go with that. But at the same time. This is if we get to February and there's no new shows, yeah, and that's right around sweeps month. Yep, there's going to be big problems. And if you're talking about cancellations, that means more people that are not involved with mm -hmm. SAG and their production crews, right, are going to be affected. I mean, the networks will be fine for a little bit. Sure, you, you know, you've you've got CBS, which is doing 
monster numbers running, you know, first time TV airings of Yellowstone. Oh, yeah. You know, there are like they were going to just do the one season because the strike is going on and they don't have anything new to show and they needed to fill some times on some dates. But it's done so incredibly well. They're going to go on and show season two from Yellowstone. Mm -hmm. You know, ABC can do the same thing with any of the Disney Plus shows or anything from Hulu because they own, you know, 51 percent or over 50 percent of Hulu. You know, so they're they're good that way. NBC is going to be fine because they can do the same thing with Peacock. They can take they they can take Doctor Death on Peacock and 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 do all that nonsense. So they'll be fine there. Fox, let's but let's be honest. Fox is just churning out reality show after reality show. If NBC is smart, you upload the entire WWE network and just run it twenty four seven on NBC. Oh my god! I mean, listen, people would tune in. Fucking run Monday Night Raw on on NBC for like, yeah. for like a month. Watch the ratings. Yeah, legitimately. So, but but in terms of so, so in terms of like. You know, stuff to show. They'll 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 be fine for now, but you will start to see a pinch. But when it comes to the stuff like HBO Max and and Netflix and and what have you, sure they'll be fine. Sure there'll be stuff coming out from theaters that like oh they'll be able to add. They'll be perfectly fine. But when it comes to people who like like to watch TV series, there's only so many times you can add something on, and and it'll do monster numbers. I mean, the obvious one that's kind of like the anomaly right now is suits mm-hmm. suits is doing bonkers numbers on Netflix and is like breaking records for being the number one streaming show on, on streaming right now for like three months or something absurd like that. But like, you're going to hit a point where like, okay, there's nothing new coming out on television. So ergo, there's nothing new coming to the streaming services. So what are you going to do? Yeah. And, and to say these deals are archaic is, to say the least, because the last writer strike, we, of course, mo- many of us remember this, was from 2007 into 2008. Mm-hmm. So that deal was archaic. And then you looking at according to a list on Wikipedia.com or .org, I should say, the last SAG after strike because there was a commercial actor strike in the uh, late 80s and 2000. You know, but the last SAG after strike was in the 70s. Yeah. So these these deals are are not updated for modern times, and I think the studios need to realize that. Well, that's the biggest problem. The, they want to remain in in the ways that they've had for years. They want to be in the driver's seat. Yeah, which I'm sorry, life is moving forward. Mm-hmm. We'd all like to stay in the past times for certain ch- things. Times change, right? But we don't have that luxury, and they don't have that luxury. And now yeah. that now they're, it's like. <laughs> It's almost like the staring contest and who's going to blink first. And like, yeah. and like at the end of the day, who cares? Yeah. You know, you, nobody's making money. Pay them. Exactly. This is not that hard of a deal to make. Yeah. And especially now, I mean, I, I know that. Y'all been... are jacking up the prices on every streaming service known to man right now. Yeah. I mean, even Apple TV I saw today is going up another three, four bucks. Yeah, it's so going up $9.99. I mean, nine nine. So you can't tell me, and, and especially all of you, all of you are, and I mean, when I say you, I mean you, the, the streaming services, mm-hmm. are cracking down on password sharing. Netflix is obviously implemented. Disney Plus is starting to do it. I know they're doing it in Canada. I wouldn't be surprised if they start here next. You know, but but just wait for the other ones. So you're getting all these quote unquote new subscribers and all this new cash flow that is the investors in the in the uh, people who hold stock are, are loving because oh it means more money for us. You can't tell me you ain't got the money for this. Exactly. They're make, when when you're hearing the financial quarter quarterly earnings, reports. Yeah. yeah. Keep track of that. Yep. You really want the temp in the room? We record. We recorded record profits this quarter. Yeah, yeah. So why aren't you paying the uh, actors? Anytime you hear record profits, then just go. Well, why aren't you paying the actors? Like mm-hmm. you, you touched upon. So yep. Stay tuned. 
Let's go SAG. Let's end this thing soon. Yes. Uh, and switching back over to some streaming news, uh, we got a, finally got a release date for the upcoming three specials for the Doctor Who 60th Ooh, anniversary. Okay. Uh, so, of course, uh, as a lot of people know, and some of you may not know, uh, the new season of Doctor Who and these new specials uh, around the world will be debuting on Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if you're in the UK, it will be on BBC iPlayer and BBC One, but the rest of the world, Disney+. Plus. Uh, and like I said, that's the three specials plus the remaining uh, or the upcoming new season. For whatever reason, here in the United States, the old seasons uh, are still on uh, Max. So mm-hmm. if you want to go back and rewatch, you're going to have to go Max. We want the new stuff, Disney+. Plus. But we finally got the release dates, uh, and they are starting on November 25th with The Star Beast. So that's on December 25th. That's obviously a Saturday. Uh, then coming on December 2nd, also a Saturday, Wild Blue Yonder. And then finally, on December 9th, The Giggle. Uh, so, yeah. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, you look, you look I'm showing you the poster. Yeah, I, it makes sense. You it makes sense. You look at the poster, it's got Neil Patrick Harris on it. Yeah, that's why I'm dying. Like, yeah, the, the fact they, they named it that. That's amazing. They they did put out a uh, little, about a one-minute trailer uh, today for the upcoming anniversary specials. They look crazy. They look insane. Swear to God, if they have to do something again to Donna, I don't know if I'm going to be able to emotionally handle it. No. They already had to ruin her, and I don't mean that in a bad way. They had to ruin her life once. Don't do it again, please. That's going to be a tough one to watch. We will be recapping that on the show. Yeah, we will. So. Yeah, uh, and then switching over to some more uh, streaming news. This one coming to Max. Uh, got a little bit of a quasi-Harry Potter update, I guess you could say. Okay. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe, so this is a reading from an article on Variety.com. Daniel Radcliffe has boarded the upcoming HBO original documentary, David Holmes' The Boy Who Lived, as an executive producer in addition to being prominently featured in the film as an interview subject. The movie, set to debut in November, chronicles the life of Radcliffe's Harry Potter stunt double, who worked closely alongside Radcliffe from Sorcerer's Stone all the way to Deathly Hallows Part 1 when he was tragically paralyzed during a set accident. Holmes broke his neck performing a stunt and was paralyzed from the chest down. The official doc synopsis from HBO reads, quote, The film is a coming-of-age story of stuntman David Holmes, a prodigious teenage gymnast from Essex, England, who was selected to play Daniel Radcliffe's stunt double in the first Harry Potter film when Daniel was is just 11. Over the next 10 years, the two form an inextricable bond, but on the penultimate film, a tragic accident on set leaves David paralyzed with a debilitating spinal injury, turning his world upside down. As Daniel and his closest stunt colleagues rally to support David and his family in their moment of need, it is David's extraordinary spirit of resilience that becomes their greatest resource of strength and inspiration. Uh, The documentary features candid personal footage shot over the last decade behind the scenes material from Holmes stunt work, scenes of his current life and intimate interviews with David, Daniel Radcliffe, friends, family and former crew HBO ads. The film also reflects universal themes of living with adversity, growing up, forging identities in an uncertain world and the bonds that bind us together and lift us up. Close quote. This sounds awesome. I'm all sorts of interested about this. I do remember hearing about an accident during filming of the, those final two movies. Yeah. Cause they filmed them both back to back a la Lord of the Rings, a la pirates of the Caribbean and a whole bunch of others. And I remember hearing something about an accident and, and there being, you know, something going wrong on set, but I never heard anything about like somebody actually being physically, 
paralyzed because of it. Now, maybe mm. it was kind of hushed up a little bit because it's a kid's movie. You're dealing with someone who's a teenage, young adult, whatever you want to define it as. Mm-hmm. But this is going to be super interesting to see. Yeah, no, definitely. I want. I am very much interested to check mm-hmm. this out. Uh, and then also in streaming news, we got a release date for the upcoming Fallout TV series. Really? From the folks over at Amazon Prime and specifically from the creators of Westworld. Uh, so the article on Deadline.com reads, quote, Prime Video has set April 12th, 2024 for the premiere of Fallout. It's anticipated new series from Westworld creators Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy and their Kilter films. Uh, based on the worldwide best-selling game franchise it will be available to stream exclusively on prime video in more than 240 countries and territories worldwide uh they included a date announcement below uh quote the announcement comes on the 26th anniversary of fallout day an annual celebration of all things dedicated to the video game franchise additionally amazon studios launched the series official social channels with an interactive pit boy interface graphic The world of Fallout is one where the future envisioned by Americans in the late 1940s explodes upon itself through a nuclear war in 2077. Hmm. The magic of the Fallout world is the harshness of the wasteland set against the previous generation's utopian idea of a better world through nuclear energy. Set in the future post-apocalyptic Los Angeles and world of Fallout, the series is an original story based on Fallout that will be part of the canon of the games. The Fallout franchise has posted record sales and received dozens of Game of the Year awards, while its mobile game, Fallout Shelter, has been downloaded more than 170 million times. Mm. The series' cast includes Ella Purnell, who you might know from Yellow Jackets, Walton Goggins, who you might know from The Hateful Eight, Aaron Moten, who you might know from uh, Emancipation, Moises Arias, uh, who you might know from The King of Staten Island, Uh, Kyle McClanahan, uh, who you might know from Twin Peaks, uh, Sarita uh, Choudhury, who you might know from Homeland, uh, Michael Emerson from per- uh, Person of Interest, Leslie Ugams, who you might know from Deadpool, uh, Francis Turner from The Boys, David Register, who you might know from Heightened, Zach Cherry from uh, Severance, Johnny Pembleton from Ant-Man, Rodrigo Luzzi from Dead Ringers, Annabelle O'Hagan from Law & Order SVU, and Zelina Mendez-Jones, who you might know from The Wheel of Time. Genevieve, uh, uh, Geneva Robertson Dwart and uh, Graham Wagner serve as executive producers, writers, and co-show runners. Close quote. Well, that's going to be interesting to finally check out. I mean, it's been long awaited. Long so. in the long in the work and long uh, in production. I've seen a couple of like behind the scenes uh, secret set photos. Looks just about the games. Okay. You, you know, obviously it's not game graphics to you know. Right, 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 right. But it's about as close as they're going to get. It looks from the photos I've seen, it looks real good. I'll take it as a win. Yes, uh, and then all sticking with the folks over at Amazon, a uh, certain spinoff of the boys has gotten renewed for season two. Okay. That would be Gen V. So reading from an article on HollywoodReporter.com, uh, it says Amazon's Prime Video is re-enrolling at Godolkin University. The streamer has ordered a second season of Gen V, the college set spinoff of the boys. The renewal comes a couple weeks ahead of the show's first season finale which is set to debut on november 3rd quote expanding the universe of the boys with a series as bold as gen v has been an incredible journey for us and our wonderful partners at sony said vernon sanders head of television at amazon mgm studios from our first conversation with showrunners uh, michelle fazikas and tara butters along with executive producers eric kripke evan goldberg and seth rogan we knew Gen V would push the boundaries. Their unapologetic approach is exactly what audiences love, and it has helped Gen V become the number one series on Prime Video in 
over 130 countries. Gen V is Prime Video's most uh, acquisitive new original series of 2023, and we're excited that our incredible cast and crew are going to continue telling brave and bold stories from Gen V to our customers. Close quote. Not really surprised, no. but kind of am because, I mean, obviously, if you know the boy's story, it's, <laughs> it's it, it makes sense for TV. I'll, I'll yeah. just put it that way. Yeah. Uh, happy to see it get renewed for season two. I mean, it took a little bit for the show to get going for me to enjoy yeah. it. The last couple episodes have been phenomenal. It, it, it picks up. I know, yeah, it does. I, I know we haven't talked about it on here, but yeah, no, it starts a little slow, but it definitely picks up by the yes, end. Yes, it does. And lastly, and certainly not leastly, got to talk about one of my favorite franchises, not Star Wars, not Lord of the Rings. Not uh, Harry Potter, James Bond. Oh, because there's okay. been a, there's been a lot of speculation online about directors. I know Christopher Nolan's name has been thrown out there. You know the, the, about composers. I know mm-hmm. David Arnold has been thrown out there. I know Hans Zimmer's been thrown out there. Even actors. You know Henry Cavill's obviously been been thrown out there. Uh, Tom Hardy's name has been thrown out there. Idris Elba's name has certainly been out there. Uh, but we got a little bit of, of an update from a. Uh, I would say a fairly reliable source. Uh, So the article on Variety.com reads, quote, fans of the iconic British secret agent James Bond will have to wait a while to see who the next 007 will be, according to franchise producer Barbara Broccoli. In a recent interview, oh, okay. in a recent interview with The Guardian, Broccoli shared that executives, quote, haven't even begun modernizing the franchise, adding that there is a big road ahead before the James Bond character is reinvented for the next chapter. Broccoli praised what Daniel Craig, who retired from the role of James Bond in 2021 after the release of No Time to Die, brought to the character. Quote, Daniel gave us the ability to mine the emotional life of the character, and also the world was ready for it, Broccoli said, adding that she wanted to to focus on what a 21st century hero would look like. As for the character itself, it's clear to Broccoli that James Bond exists as a a product of the times. Quote, I go back to Goldeneye when everyone was saying the Cold War is over, the wall is over, Bond is dead, no need for Bond, the whole world's at peace, and now there's no villains. And boy, was that wrong, Broccoli emphasized. Although it might be a while until a new Bond film appears in theaters, audiences can stream this series 007 Road to a Million, the first uh, appearance of the James Bond brand in unscripted TV hosted by Succession star Brian Cox. Uh, This global adventure series will follow pairs of contestants as they navigate challenges set in Bond-related locations. Ask if they're planning other James Bond TV spinoffs. Broccoli said, quote, Our focus is making the feature films. When we get going on a Bond movie, it takes our full attention for three or four years. So that's our focus. Close quote. She continued, uh, we make the Bond movies for the big theatrical screen and everything about the Bond movies is for audiences to see around the world on that format. So we've not wanted to do television. Close quote. So it sounds like uh, any rumors or or, uh, suggestions of acting might have been a little premature. Mm. Uh, Suggestions or rumors of any directors might have been. A little premature because they haven't even fucking started. Right. Because as as has been noted in the past, the production schedule and the production for a James Bond film is arduous to say the least. Very intense. This isn't exactly you know like a green screen heavy film or oh we're just going to stay in in uh, England and go to Pinewood Studios and and film the whole movie up in front of a, no like if they're going to the Himalayas. They're going to film in the Himalayas. Mm-hmm. If they're going to film, you know, at the tip of the bottom of South America. They're going to the bottom of South America. Yeah, like they're not half-assing this. They're they're whole-assing this. No, they def- they definitely take take the time. Yeah. to really do it right. And so. I don't and I don't mind the the 
reality series. I still got to check that out just because I've seen all the movies and it'll be interesting to see what they do and, and where they go and how they incorporate it. Just mm-hmm. because Bo- James Bond has been around, you know, in film from the 60s. Yeah. So that'll be that'll be cool to see. But in terms of TV, spin- no, the, the character is just way too big. No pun intended, you know, for for small screens, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's got to be a feature film. Yeah, it, it just wouldn't work. I mean, even with the streaming, especially the Amazon's budget, too. I mean, yeah, yeah, you could argue it, but uh, you, like I could see him doing like a Felix Leiter. Series, yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah. But, but do I but not Bond Bond? Right. I could like I could, but uh, there's no need for it. No, stick, definitely stick to movies. Definitely not. All right, before we get into comic talk, I definitely got to talk about the premiere of the last six episodes of AMC's flagship show of the Walking Dead universe, Fear the Walking Dead. I mean, well, it is a flagship show since the main one's gone. Well, I mean, there's a lot of argument for Daryl Dixon. That's true. Which I have not gotten a chance. I'm going to be very honest. I, I've seen little bits and pieces, but uh, not enough to talk about it. Mm-hmm. I'm planning on watching it before the Book of Carol Oh, yeah, yeah. And then the alleged, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm treating it like New Mutants. I'm treating it like, like the Flash. Like the Flash until I'm actually sitting and watching it. Yeah. I still don't believe that Rick and Michonne thing is coming out. So I'm still waiting to see it. However, though, it is a little bittersweet because it is Fear of the Walking Dead. And if you have not been following the ODPH, it is a show that has grown on me as it's been in its later years. The addition of Morgan Jones, uh, played by Lenny James, had really helped the show mm-hmm. because the first two seasons are are, uh, are they're not good. I'm sorry, in my in my opinion, they're yeah. they're very very bad. Yeah, for, for yeah 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 you you can't even try no. try saying anything. There, there was promise, but then it, mm. it it faltered very quick. Yeah, but the one thing that this show really kind of took the the turns is they went away from the outline of the flagship show at the time and they had no problem killing off major characters they were really taking a horror aspect to it mm-hmm. and they really impressed me during the 2020 year because they started off with the anthology style so for somebody that was coming back to the show mm-hmm. i was watching it as a new viewer and i was getting single episodes getting connected with each character right and i thought it was brilliant how they set that up uh since that point though things have gotten a little crazy uh, there was a nuclear warhead that went off in the middle of the zombie apocalypse. As if the zombie apocalypse ain't enough, let's add you know a little few more ingredients to mm-hmm. the mix. Mm-hmm. So we've had that, but we've had some great acting too. And like I say, anytime though you had Lenny James going one on one with Coleman Domingo's Victor Strand, it was magic. And mm-hmm. just the the over the top charisma they carried with it really helped make a great dynamic on the show. Where we last saw everybody was. They had broken away. They did a little bit of a time jump, which I hate. I I absolutely Mm -hmm. loathe it. But if you're a longtime watcher of the show, you saw that Kim Dickens came back as Madison Clark. Mm -hmm. And one of the most popular characters of the show is returning for the final year. Mm Mm-hmm. But we also have a new stack quote in place because, like I said, once you had the time jump, there was this mythical place known as Padre Mm. where it's a safe haven and it seems that it's completely away from anything that is the zombie apocalypse. Uh, If if there's ever a place in this Walking Dead universe that seems like a utopian, utopia, spoiler alert, it's not. Right. So they did have a very long uh, six episodes kind of reestablishing where everybody is now. Okay. Certain characters are back. Certain ones are not. But where we jump in, because I want to just kind of do a spoiler-free take on Anton, which is episode seven of season eight of The Fear of the Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a great episode for the moments you get with Coleman Domingo. Mm-hmm. Because, like I say, when they let Strand be Strand, okay, 
it's he absolutely takes advantage of the roles. And Strand is not a good guy. He he is like one of the most irredeemable people. Sure. Uh, in the entire Walking Dead universe, like this is what Negan should be. Right. But whatever is going on with Dead City is Dead City. I'm the, I don't even want to get into that. But where we have is Strand. Strand was someone that had his own colony during this nuclear wasteland that was going on, and he could not get over his anger towards Morgan and and the group Mm -hmm. about what was going on, and it ultimately led to its fall. So to see him reinvent himself in a new character known as Anton, and you hear his backstory and how much of a con man he is, Mm -hmm. it just poured out of just the charisma and the enthusiasm he has for this role mm-hmm. and but albeit though when he runs into uh kim dickens madison and that's a that's a meeting that's been waiting to happen for quite some time right you do get the payoff there if you're a longtime watcher of the show okay however though i thought they they fell back into some of the traps of the original walking dead series mm-hmm. where it almost seemed Plug and play. Mm. And I did not like that aspect of it. I thought it took away from the great acting job of Coleman Domingo. I understand where they're going with it. They went for some deep dives if you have been watching from the beginning. Right. Which I haven't. And I had to go dig through and find out. And I'm going, okay, I could get this if I was with this since day one. Since I'm not, it kind of feels telegraphed. Mm-hmm. Not going to lie. Mm-hmm. But I'm waiting to see what happens. Uh the fact that we're it looks like we are at a place and we look like we're going to go somewhere. I'm expecting some big things happening here. I am very optimistic, but I also feel that I'm f- we're going to have a lot of wash, rinse, repeat. And, mm-hmm. I, and I don't like that, especially because the show really went away from it and had its own identity. Yeah. And now it kind of seems like one step forward, two steps back. Mm-hmm. But we have to wait and see. I think it's worth a watch. If you haven't checked it out before, you can jump in. You might be a little lost here and there, but it it's not enough that would take you out of the episode because, like I say, Coleman Domingo's acting is just superb. Hmm. So definitely want to check that out on AMC Sunday nights. The final six episodes are kicking off, and we'll have a lot to talk about uh, heading into November with that. Yeah. Like we're going to have a lot to talk about because it is new comic book day, and as we end every entertainment edition, we got to talk some comics. So, Pad, what you picking up this week? I got a couple things to pick up. I'm picking up this week. Uh, first of which is Action Comics issue number 1058 from Philip K. Johnson and the folks over at DC. Uh, this one is Superman versus Clark Kent. When the mysterious young Nora Stone drains Superman's strength and unleashes an imposter tyrant Superman on Metropolis in his place, a powerless Clark Kent is forced to face the monster alone. Who is Nora Stone? And can Clark protect his identity while fighting this impossible battle? Featuring Gene Lun Yang and Victor uh, Bogdanovich's return to the Superman of China. Uh, this cover looks fucking nuts. Mm-hmm. I'm getting real injustice vibes off of it obviously. Uh, Then for the folks over at Disney and Dynamite Comics, you've got Gargoyles issue number 10 from Greg Weissman and George Cambadeus. This one is a race against time. Brooklyn's attempts to lead the clan have left him feeling disappointed and estranged from those he's closest to. But when some dangerous news comes in, it's up to Brooklyn, Lexington, and Broadway to save the day. Can they come together in time to make the daring rescue, or will Daybreak stop them in their tracks? Definitely want to check out if you are a fan of Gargoyles such as myself. Lastly, certainly not leastly, from the folks over at Marvel, you've got Amazing Spider-Man issue number 36. Uh, This one reads, Spider-Man has never gone this dark. Now the consequences are unraveled. Will New York ever look at him the same way again? 
the thing I'm learning from these last couple issues is like they set you up for high expectations. Yeah. And then you get to it and the expectations are like, you know, a foot off the ground. So go in with low expectations. Going to warn you now, but uh, we'll see how this ends. And well, then, well, because this kicks off right in the gang war, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gang war I'm excited about. And then lastly, certainly not leastly, issue number one out this week from Marvel. Marvel Zombies, Black, White, and Blood. Oh, God. Uh-huh. Oh, man. Uh, so the list of artists on this one is you've got Garth Ennis is one of the art, uh, uh, writers. Uh, writers. Alex Segura. Okay. Ashley Allen. Uh, and then on cover art, you've got Gabriel Delato. Uh, so that looks nuts. Yeah, uh, Rachel Stott is another one of the artists. Uh, Javi Fernandez is another artist. And then Justin Mason is another one of the artists. Uh, Ken, I'm showing you the cover. <laughs> yeah, that looks insane. A little insane. Uh, so the description of this one is, quote, an all new era of Marvel zombies. The undead plague starts here and you know it won't stop until everyone's in its clutches. The first of four action packed, utterly original, gloriously gory anthology issues features Daredevil, Spider-Man, Moon Knight, and many, many more Marvel heroes and villains beset by ever-growing zombie hordes. In a brutal, blood-stained world, can hope survive? Or will creeping, gnawing, shambling horror win out at last? Right in time for uh, Halloween. I'm impressed you're picking that up. Oh, I'm going to see this. I'm impressed. This because is going to be nuts. You're not into horror. So I can I, I can do zombies, though. Okay. Zom- I, zombies, I'm fine with. I'm just saying, like, because I know you and you're reading, so that's why I'm like, okay. <laughs> There's a fucking parental advisory on this on this. Cover. Oh, yeah. There was no chance I was going <laughs> to be. Anything that's uh, the, the black, white, and red or blood series, right. yeah, that's mature readers. There's yep. no... <laughs> There's no gray area there. Pun, no pun nope. intended. This is going to be nuts. It's going to be insane. So for me, uh, let's go back to DC because there is a book out this week. Okay. And this is one I started catching some wind on social media about. I did. I was already planning on writing this because I, I was really interested to see what they're doing with the JSA characters. We've, oh. we've seen some books out from the Justice Society of America members. And then I heard a um, an amazing speech about this book. And this is Alan Scott, The Green Lantern, number one by Tim Sheridan and Sion Tormey. Now, this is a very, very cool book. Okay. I don't want to give any spoilers away. But the one thing that really I, I, I'm stressing, go out and buy this book, mm-hmm. buy multiple copies, is Tim Sheridan uh, got on social media and is saying that he is donating 100% of his royalties for the series. Ooh. To the Elton John AIDS Foundation. Oh, that's awesome. Yes. So for all six issues, he's donating 100% of his royalties. That's awesome. Yeah. So I think it's 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 a great uh, charity to be supporting. I think what Tim is doing is amazing. And really, go out and get this book. The book is fantastic. I don't want to say any spoilers because I don't want to ruin anything for anybody. But it's well worth picking up. The, this was the book from DC I was really amped to check out. And they have a stacked lineup this week, too. The Flash 2 is out this week. Penguin number 3. Wonder Woman number 2. Like, they have had some great ones come out. Um, like, everything DC is doing with the Dawn of DC is really picking up steam, too. Mm-hmm. So I just got to say, if you haven't been checking it out, definitely go swing through and go get those books. But like I said, Alan Scott, The Green Lantern, for me, that was the, the book that I, I can't scream enough. Go pick it up. Uh, and go get multiple copies. There's multiple variant covers. You can go do some things. And like I said, for six issues, it's all going for a great cause. So definitely check that out. 
over at Image Comics via Skybound Entertainment. Pat, I'm going to show you a cover. Okay. Let me see if this catches you off guard. What the fuck? This is Void Rivals number five. Okay. But with most of the Image Comics coming out this month, yeah, they're doing an homage to The Walking Dead. Oh, okay, that makes sense. So they're doing a. It's a very cool cover. Yeah. Uh, by Connor Hughes for the series. Robert Kirkman, Lorenzo Di Felici. Uh, they are doing some great things. This is the Energon universe, so you know they have a lot going on with this series. And what is unfolding here is really interesting for a setup because it's near the end of the first arc. And there's a lot of things happening with Darek and Soldia. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't checked the series out, because I know, in my opinion, it might get overlooked a little bit because of Transformers with Daniel Warren Johnson coming out. I, I think that there's a lot of people that are just more excited for Transformers and G.I. Joe, which, I mean, Joshua Williamson writing that is going to be phenomenal stuff, mm-hmm. too. So you want to make sure you go check this out, though, because Void Rivals is a very, very good series. And with issue number five, you don't want to miss that. Also from Skybound this week, Firepower by Robert Kirkman and Chris Samney. That is a great issue as well. And then Universal Monsters Dracula. Mm-hmm. So this is a great take on the iconic yeah. monster of Hollywood. You know, like I said, we've seen him in Hollywood. We've seen movies, TVs, what, what have you. James Tynan, Martin Simmons. Uh, I will say, as someone who is not that big of a fan of horror, like I, I cannot stand gory, nasty stuff, the original, like, 19th, not not Nosferatu, but the one they did in, like, the 30s or whatever it was, mm-hmm. uh, Dracula watched it last year for Halloween. Fantastic movie. Yeah. Definitely give it a watch if you have not seen it. Well worth the time. Does not matter how long it's been since it came out. Yeah, no, this is, like, in the same vein. Yeah. Like, it, it's a very cool story. Like, there, there's a lot that is happening, and especially if, you, if you're a very big fan of the character, mm-hmm. Tina's take is great. Uh, like for me, I it, it definitely I thought it was a great issue. Yeah. So, like I say, I'm really trying not to say spoilers because I don't want to ruin anything before anybody heads to the shops. Uh, looked uh, it looked it up. If you want to watch the movie, it looks like the movie is currently streaming on Prime Video. Ooh, that's always uh, that's good. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, Image Comics wise, Edenwood number one, Tony Daniel. Like this is a wild series. Mm-hmm. But if you're into like some supernatural adventure, there's a lot of elements going on. The cover is a little it's it's crazy. I'm gonna get a pad a bigger picture because I like to show him when uh, we have issues like this. Okay, so he gets a little excited. Uh, this is oh my lord. Yeah, there's a lot happening. Uh, with there's this book. a lot going on there. Yes, um, and Tony is writing and uh, drawing it, so it's a very cool book. Like I say, uh, I don't want to say like it's in the battle chasers kind of realm, but there's a, you can see different influences happening mm-hmm. here. But it's a really good intro to what is going on. This is going to be an absolutely crazy story when it happens. So definitely excited to pick that one up this week. Also, officially out, Radiant Black 26 and 26.5. Hey, yo. So you know the whole team over there, Black Market Narrative, has a lot going on with this. In fact, if you check ODPH social media, uh, you'll see what uh, the fine folks there sent over. So definitely mm. very appreciative always of the support that they show us. And it's well worth it because, trust me, they put on amazing, amazing stories. And what's happening with the Catalyst War is not disappointing in any way, shape, and or form. Also, we have a debut that I've been excited for for quite some time. Okay. Um, I couldn't really talk about this in New York, but I'm glad I can talk about it now. Gone by Jock from Distillery is finally out. So this has been a book that if you read The Devil's Cut, which I absolutely think is an impressive introduction to what they're doing over there. Mm-hmm. This is a spinoff from the sta- the stowaway that was Jock's story on here. And it's a great story, phenomenal art. 
a lot of big win and you get your money's worth for it. So this is only the start of something absolutely bigger as we're going on in time. We also have an interview with Jacques from uh, New York Comic Con on nerdinitiative.com or nerdinitiative YouTube. So if you want to find out more about it, you definitely want to check that out. But this, I lived up to the hype. I was super excited to read this and I've had to keep quiet about it. But this is definitely something that it caught my eye and I'm like, I was all in. So can't wait to read more. Like Distillery, if you're not on board yet, I, seriously, I don't know what you're waiting for. Get on board. You definitely want to check that out. Uh, going switching over quickly to IDW publishing uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Stranger Things number four. That series is getting very, very good as it's nearing the end. Also, Dark Spaces Dungeon. Uh, listen, if you're looking for something to read this holiday season, this is something to pick up. And I mean, Halloween season is my holiday. So also some great Star Trek books are coming out. IDW is putting out a lot of great work. If you haven't checked them out lately, highly, highly, highly recommend what they're doing. Over at Dark Horse Comics, Black Hammer, The End, number three. That one is a very, very cool series. If you haven't checked that out, uh, Jeff Lemire and uh, Malachi Ward. That one is something, like, what they're doing over there is that's just, it's wild, it's crazy. It's, it's something that just, it brings out the fandom in you, so you definitely want to check that out. Also, there is a book that I got the chance to check a little late, but it lives up to the hype. Joey from So Wizard was talking about it. Okay. It's called Drive Like Hell. Uh-oh. So this one is absolutely adrenaline. It's crazy, and it is living up to the billing that it, it, it's showing. Uh, Rich Duick and Alex Cormack okay. are, is behind this. So that one, if you haven't checked that one out, I, I really, really, really re- recommend that one because okay. that's, that's got a lot happening there. And lastly, but certainly not leastly, heading over to Boom Studios. Absolutely love Boom Studios. They always do phenomenal work. The Horror trade paperback is out. Okay. So if you're really looking for an insane classic Hollywood uh, horror story for this time of year, go pick this up. The book is amazing. So uh, we got, fortunately, we've been reviewing it for quite some time, and like the trade paperback is out now, so you definitely want to get that. Alice Never After by Dan Pinozin. Number four is out, and this is a very, very twisted take on the Alice in Wonderland story and goes a lot of different directions, but it's always a fantastic read. So I definitely can't recommend that one enough. Also, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers 113, Melissa Flores, Simona D.G. Anfelice. The Darkest Hour crossover is going on. Do I need to say more? No, not really. Fantastic work by Melissa and the team, like always. like If you haven't checked out Power Rangers, like go get the books. They're that good. There's also a series out that just debuted called Slow Burn Number One. Mm. So this is by Ali Masters, and I apologize if if I messed the name up here. Luigi Minati, uh, and this is a very cool crime story esque uh, vibe to it. So this one is going to be gaining a lot of word. I think word of mouth. Like I've been hearing a lot of our fellow comic uh, content creators have been talking about this book. And it's definitely one that has caught my attention. Um, I didn't get a chance to fully review it this week because life happens. But rest assured, I am definitely checking this out. And we might be having a, a, a longer deep dive down the road about this because I'm hearing a lot of great things about this. And last but not least on my list, Something is Killing the Children 34. Uh-oh. James Tynan, Werther Del Edera. And what they are doing in this book, holy smokes. You want to talk about slow burn, nobody does it better than James Tynan. 
And what they do in this series is this has been a payoff for some for months of issues. Albeit though, I'm showing Pad the variant cover. Oh, which I mean, it's it's fun. H- Halloween themed. That makes sense. Yeah. So uh, Giuseppe Caminicoli has uh, got the the very cool Halloween variant for it, and this is just something amazing. But the entire issue uh, blew my mind. And this has been something that if you've been reading since they started this arc, we are getting a payoff. It does not follow or doesn't fall off. And there's a lot of big win about this. So definitely a lot to be excited about at the comic shops this week. If you need more reviews, nerdinitiative.com has you for a lot of books today. I want to say we're double digits for reviews starting at 9 a.m. this morning uh, as we're recording. And we're always talking books uh, throughout the week. So there's more Marvel reviews coming out as well, too. It's a great time to be a comic fan. So if you haven't checked it out, make sure you do it. And also, Alan Dunford uh, stopped by Turn a Page last night. The Kickstarter for Grandma Chainsaw number three is coming to a close this uh, within the next couple of days. Ah. So depending on when you hear this, we do have the link up at odphpodcast.com. Go sign up for the book. Alan is amazing. Everything they're doing over there with his team is nothing short of phenomenal work and just go support the hell out of him. He's just doing amazing, amazing things there. And as we like to end each and every entertainment edition, make sure you go out and support your local comic shops wherever you're at in the world because, you know what, honestly, there's nothing better than walking into a shop on a Wednesday and talking some shop with your fellow fans. For anything and everything, it is the ODPH. You can find it at odphpodcast.com. That's it for this week. So for the one and only Pat Owanjay. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Kenneth. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time.